Hello, and welcome to Humans of Healthcare. I'm Joe Thompson, and today I'll be speaking to Jules Simmons, who's the Patient and Public Involvement Manager at the Leeds Institute of Medical Education. Today we'll be speaking about death and Jules' work with the Death Cafe. Hello, Jules. Hi. So, I was thinking before we um, dive into the topic of, of talking about death today, maybe you could tell us a bit more about your background and your current role in medical education. Um, so I've worked at the um, Medical Education Unit or, or Leeds Institute of Medical Education, as it's known now, uh, for nearly 20 years this November. Um, so it's been a long, a long um, journey with the medical school. Mm-hmm. And I'm not clinical or academic. I come from a patient carer background. So um, it's, a, it's a kind of a little weird journey to the medical school. But I was studying fine art at the time um, when I got connected with the medical school. And my partner, who I, I, I'd been with for a number of years, was diagnosed with cancer with Hodgkin's lymphoma. So as a young couple, we started on that health journey. And we were living in Bradford at the time, but I'm originally born and bred in Leeds. So had contact with the universities. And it was a six-year journey through the hospital services as a couple, as a young couple, with lots of highs and lots of lows. And um, yeah, ultimately, um, my partner lost his battle with with cancer. And so during that time, I think it really changed our perspective on the world, spending so much time in hospitals, in clinics, in GP surgeries, um, in in various waiting rooms, in various hospitals across the region, um, and meeting lots of staff and patients and carers. Uh, and consultants and specialists, um, it gave us a different view. And because I was doing fine art, a fine art degree at the time, I think it was really affecting my work. And I was producing more and more work around the clinical environment and therapeutic environments. And so I kind of drifted from my original ideas through into some sort of healing spaces so I'm a 3D so I was creating healing spaces within a um an art gallery um and it 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 seems really disconnected but art and medicine and science are really connected and should be connected so whilst we were going through this journey um the University of Leeds communication skills team were contacting um carer services and voluntary services and support centres to see if anyone, any patients would like to get involved in communication skills at the medical school in Leeds. Mm-hmm. And we were members of Bradford um, Cancer Support uh, and it's now based at the Bradford Royal Infirmary. It was just across the road then. And so I decided to come along to an open day and I saw what I thought was really hilarious at the time, but now I understand it was actors portraying patients based on a script that doctors had written and they interact with a student and the students take a history and they get feedback and it's a way of practicing taking a history from a patient in a safe environment Mm -hmm. and um, 
I thought that was really funny. There was a number of us there that day, and I I just said, why why are actors doing this when real patients and carers could be doing it? So that's how it started nearly 20 years ago. And um, from there, we um, I decided to stay involved and I worked with the communication skills team, which included people from education and clinicians. And we looked at the scenarios that the actors were portraying and we looked at how we can make those more realistic from a patient point of view. Mm-hmm. So they were written from the doctor's point of view. So we wanted to add in the patient voice. And that's where it all started for me. And um, coming right up to date now, um, I am now leading communication skills at the Institute and I'm also the patient and public involvement manager so my role really consists of getting um, the local community, uh, patients, carers, family members, anybody that's that's involved in in supporting and caring for someone with a, a con- health condition that we get those involved, those people involved in medical education and really bring that patient carer voice to the students so that they can learn to work in partnership so um all my experience of getting involved is really based in in reality of being a carer for someone with with cancer going through bereavement six months after he died i had a breakdown and and had a year's mental health um support myself as a patient so I think I've seen it from many different angles and I sure. am really keen to be open and honest about that and to give the students the honest experience from a patient and a, a carer perspective and to give them the reality of life because it's if we do this sanitised, very cosy, protective view in medical school at undergraduate level, then they're in for a shock when they graduate and go out into the big wide world. So I'm keen that myself and the patient carer community that we've set up, which is 200 strong, um, we, we bring, you know, the reality of being a patient or a carer in, in the local region. And um, it's had great results. It's great, great, great results for those of us that are involved, and it's also been um, really well received from our students. Brilliant, and and I think um, it's it's so important. It's interesting how much I imagine it, it might have changed in in the time that you've been working for the medical school. Massively, massively. I think when I first started, it was. Um, a real uphill struggle. I used to call the the med school the pinstripe dinosaur, and um, I, I it was this big thing that plodded and squashed everything in its way, and I always felt like I was running away from something that was going to squish me. But actually, gradually, there was a change, and people would leave their doors open, and I could get in, and I would speak to people. And I think it's about respect and partnership. Sure. I think once you um, I think there was a little bit of a fear that that people already doing roles would be replaced by patients, and that's not what it's about. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's about working together to deliver 
um, a bigger perspective. So it wasn't replacing anyone. It was bringing extra people in to support what was already going on, the great teaching, <clears throat> and bring a different perspective, really. So I think once people realised that we could work together, <clears throat> then then people were really happy to say, I don't know anything about it, so why don't you come along and tell me? And that's when things changed. Sure, sure. And through um, through your your background that you've that you've just mentioned, you've been involved in the the Death Cafe um, in in Leeds. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Um, the Death Cafe was an idea that came from one of our absolutely brilliant patient care community members. So he. Um, He'd been working with us for a number of years, and I must mention him, Phil Sheridan, because he's an absolute star. And he had been looking into the Death Cafe, which is an international movement, um, and it had been running for a number of years. And I always ran a, an open-door policy wherever I have a desk, the door will be open and people can come in and bring an idea. And we're now at the stage, I think, um, as, as the patient care community, where anyone can bring an idea and pitch it, and we'll look at how it can run and what might happen if we run it and we can pilot it. So he came along with this idea and I was like, hmm, sounds interesting. And I've never been one to shy away from talking about death, having experienced my partner dying. And also working in elderly care, I have um, <clears throat> looked after older people that have died and have gone through that sort of grieving process with um, the relatives. So I, I said, for me, it sounded just the right thing to do. But I understood that many people found it difficult to talk about death. So we looked into the Death Cafe online. And there was lots of sessions going on and there was some some background information and about the guy that set it up who's since died at an early age, unfortunately. But it gives you the principles and the reasons and the kind of brief guidelines and rules. There's not a massive amount of rules, but um, and it encourages you to run it with those principles, but for your own environment so tweak it for your own environment so it really came from phil and then um i got on board and said this is a really good idea and then we got um a student called sonia who was really keen to get involved um i think she was in third year at the time so she brought lots of students on board as well so it was kind of myself phil and sonia that decided We'll set one up and see how it goes. And the first one we ran, we just ran with patient carer community members just to pilot it. Mm -hmm. Because back in those days, it's been running for a number of years. It's when we used to meet face to face. I've forgotten what that's like. But so, you know, setting up the room, how do you, where do you put the chairs? We had lunch. Um, you know, it was, it was it was all the logistics of it. So we tried it out with the patient care community, and um, and then we could get feedback on how it could be much more successful, and who we how we targeted people, how we got the news out to the students, etc. So yeah, we piloted it a number of years ago, and it was it the the feedback was really good. So we thought, let's keep running with it. Brilliant, and and how does a a typical session run you mentioned that there's a sort of 
a, a rough blueprint that was given, but how have the sessions in, in Leeds that you've been doing been running? So we've, we've um, initially, we just had them closed for the patient carer community. Then we opened them up to the PCC, patient carer community, and staff. So we had staff members coming along. And then the third one we opened up to students. So we've done it in gradual steps mm-hmm. so that we felt comfortable running it um, and that we had enough facilitators. So you have um, facilitators that do a very sort of loose job at sitting back and just um, encouraging the conversations. So if it's a small group, it may just be a handful of people that turn up. You sit round, you can sit round a table or you can sit round in a circle and make sure that you've got lots of refreshments there for people to access. It's very informal so people can get up and leave the room if they need to because it can get quite emotional. So I try and set out a little bit of background of how the the Death Cafe came about and then that there's refreshments that you can leave the room if you want to where the toilets are all those sorts of things so that people feel that they've got freedom and and also that um you know it's okay to just sit and listen you don't have to speak up we do a round of introductions and I I often ask what's brought people to to the Death Cafe and it can be various different reasons from I've been asked to come along or I'm just curious what one is or I've recently had a a bereavement or I'm thinking about my own death and how I might organise things and how do I feel about that or I just want to learn a bit more. So it can be lots and lots of different reasons. And um, and so it's sitting round face to face but, but making the room feel comfortable. If we've got a larger audience, which we have done, had sometimes then we have a big room and we we make circles of about 10 or less because that's comfortable with a facilitator and we'll have a break part way through and then you can mix it up and go join a different group so you don't have to stay with the same one um for the duration of the cafe and and I do encourage people to get up and move about get themselves a drink go stretch the legs and things because it's it, it shouldn't feel onerous to people. It should feel comfortable and and um, that they're not being watched. They don't have to sit there. They can they can move about. So that's that's how it's it's been running. But obviously mm-hmm. during lockdown, we've switched to online meetings, which has meant that we've had um, a wider um, uptake because people from across the country and indeed. Uh, across to the United States, they've joined us during lockdown. So Brilliant. that brings in a different perspective. Sure. And, and in terms of um, the content of of the meetings, how um, how do you kick things off? Is there is there a set sort of topic each week or do people just volunteer with questions or topics they'd like to discuss? Well, we decided from the beginning that we wouldn't, we wouldn't assign a topic to the meeting to the cafe um but we did as facilitators we we wrote down a list of topics that if if it was sort of struggling to get going Hmm. that we'd be happy as a facilitator to bring up so often it starts with in in your circle or around your table if it was me then i'd get everybody to introduce themselves and and why why they're there and then ask if anybody would like to start. 
if not, I don't leave it too long because I don't want people to feel awkward or put on the spot. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say, well, there's something that I'd like to discuss and it might be something that's happened more recently for me. I mean, my partner died quite a long time ago now. So, um, but, but, you know, since then I, I've had um, illness within the family and um, and I'm an absolute animal lover, so um, I am really affected by animals dying, and I'm really keen to bring that up actually because that was one of the topics that came up in a in a session with students. And um, my a couple of years ago, my um, lurchers, I've two, I had two uh, rescue lurchers, and they died within a couple of months of each other. At, at, an old ripe old age but it massively massively affected me physically and mentally for quite a long time and um you know but in the back of my mind I was thinking this has affected me so badly but yet people are going to look at me and say well they're just dogs Mm. what's the big deal you know it's not your mom it's not your dad but actually I think to be open and acknowledge that the death death of an animal can really affect somebody and not to sweep that under the carpet and and so I talked openly about the fear of 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 losing my my dogs Mm -hmm. Um, and someone else in the room who got very very emotional had also experienced her pets dying recently and it had really affected her because she said she could handle um, death through her role as a medical student, she'd seen experienced death out on placement mm. um, with a team. But what she wasn't coping with and was really affecting her was that her her pets had recently died. They were they were pets that didn't have a very long life naturally, but the grief of that was really affecting her and it was beginning to affect her um, her time as a, a medical student. So I think to underestimate someone's grief, sure. whether it be a person or an animal, is is wrong of us. And, and so we had a session talking about that and how it wasn't a silly thing to be upset about and, it, and actually to sit and talk it through and listen to other people's opinions in that room. No one's judgmental, whether you like animals or not. You know, it's not for someone to sit there and say, oh, it's what's wrong with you, pull your socks up. It's just being able to express that and use the words death, dying, mm-hmm. grief, pain, physical, mental, being sick, all those things that happen to you in your body. And so I think that was one of the most successful sessions we had and it it kind of came about almost by accident but it opened up an area that we'd never talked about and um so it can be accidental in a way and then it could be someone that comes along I had younger students in one session and um one of the students had been across to India to a relative's um funeral And that student was very um, open with the group about um, being from a different religion and how the funeral is run and the ceremonies and the thinking behind it. And so that became another really 
powerful session that we had because it was understanding grief from a different perspective. Sure. And I think that's something that's so important in in clinical practice because you're meeting such a, a diverse range of of people every day and death is is experienced so differently by so many different cultures and i think that sometimes i feel kind of bad that i don't have enough awareness of that and it's it's very hard in that position when you're not um fully sort of aware of of what the patient and the patient's family expect to be to be going through yeah well i think this there there are some things that need to happen um we had a we had a session around um and it just so happened that the people that joined us wanted to talk about it so um around islam and and the um the grieving and the process for people from um a muslim background and i had no clue whatsoever but i'm really keen to hear about people's experiences Mm -hmm. and learn and it opened up a completely different world. And there are some things that religiously have to be done. Sure. Then there are some things that, that people want to be done culturally. And then there's the legal side of things. Yes. So it isn't, it isn't just, oh, I think I want this when I die. There's lots of other things to consider. So to hear about other people's experiences from different backgrounds, particularly as a, a medical student where you are going to encounter death, um, I wouldn't say daily, but on a more regular basis than most people, I think understanding different perspectives culturally, religiously um, is so key. And we've also had... Um, you know, we've had people come to us that that are humanist celebrants, um, that um, s- believe in spiritualism and ghosts. We've had um, people from funeral services join us. So you're getting lots and lots of really wide and varying perspectives on dying, death, grief burials all sorts of things so it's it's really fascinating to hear and just to to get a feel for the the atmosphere at one of these events so for some people it might seem like maybe quite a sad occasion to get together in a room and and discuss death but does it always have to be a sad and and sort of serious conversation absolutely not um i think Death and dying has become this this big black thing that hangs over people. And that's, I think, personally, because I, I didn't want to face it. So it becomes this huge, unmanageable thing. But actually, when you have the opportunity to face it and talk about it and explore and listen to other people, it becomes less onerous and less terrifying Um and yes, I've cried in death cafes, but it's been, it's not been a distress cry. It's just been, I suppose, a, a bit of a release because, um, you know, I, I have been guilty of bottling it all up in the past. And I suppose that's why I ended up having uh, to access mental health services. And I know that's not a healthy way to go. So to be able to release that emotion um 
it's not uncomfortable. I'm not uncomfortable around people crying. People do cry and there can be a therapeutic silence as well. I'm sure you know as as a doctor that just being quiet for a minute can help someone. But equally, we've been belly laughing through some of the death cafes because death, dying can actually be really, really funny as well. And I've worked in elderly surfaces and I've had some funny, funny experiences. So it's not doom and gloom. I can really um, shout that loud that it's not a cafe that people come to and sit around sobbing into their cup of tea and, you know, crying and, oh, woe is me or anything. It's nothing like that. We can cry along with each other, but we equally laugh as much. Or I come away thinking, wow, I didn't know that, and that is Mm mind-blowing. So I can come away absolutely with my batteries recharged thinking, gosh, there's so much going on out there. Yeah. And it's so interesting. So I think the word death cafe does put people off. And I, I know we've, we've, um, we have sessions with our youngest students in the gateway program. And, um, I think there was a little feeling of, well, they need to be protected, but these are students that potentially are going into medicine and will mm. come across very ill people with, um, terminal illness and, and, bad news and all the rest of it. And I think we should prepare people from the very, very earliest. We should be doing it as very young children. And in the 70s, when I, when my grandparents died, we weren't allowed to go to the funeral and nobody discussed it. One day they were there, the next day they were gone and we were expected to just kind of get over it. But actually, no one talked about it. And sure. And I, I think as an adult, when my partner died, um, I've got sisters with children. The children were so great in their understanding and the way that they describe the loss and the things that they did to commemorate and remember. Mm-hmm. They were so healing. And these are very, very young children. And sure. they were able to manage that situation and come to terms with it. Mm. and actually really helped me to come to terms with it because life goes on. And so I, I think in, in the, the death cafes, we, we shouldn't call it anything else. It's what it is, and we have to use that terminology and not be afraid of it. If you say death, it doesn't make someone die. It's just that it's a word. Yeah. Um, and so, the you know, the, the idea that we should dampen it down for younger people I think is wrong. Yes. We're not. We're not there to shock and upset. We're there to be a group of people that that discuss and listen, and people can take time out as well. Mm-hmm. And actually, when when the younger students are involved, I think wrongly we think young people have had no experience, but with the pandemic, yes, or with um, families living together in different generations, young people are experiencing ill health, dying and death. Yeah. So we should be giving young people that opportunity. Definitely. Just Uh, sit and listen or talk and and, and not shy away from it. I I completely agree. I think sort of normalising, discussing death earlier on would be much more healthy and probably enable people to cope a lot better when they do encounter it later on in life. I agree. Um, 
why why do you think we struggle to talk about it so much i think we it's this whole um it's, I always think of the Victorians with the black dress and, you know, the, their kind of this weird connection with death. If you look back, it's interesting, we often talk about the history of, and there are some really weird customs and ceremonies going back. And I think it's it, it's a hangover from that. And it's... It's difficult to break some of those routines. And I remember when my partner died and I was living in Bradford and I moved back to my parents' house just temporarily in Leeds. And the the day he died, I had the best night's sleep that night ever and I felt a bit guilty. And the next morning I rang the funeral director and I said, you know, I need to talk about um, my partner's died and I need to talk about a funeral. And um, he said, well, are your parents there? Well, I said, no, they've gone out. And he was like, well, shall we wait for your parents? And I was already in my, um, I, w- I was in my 20s at that point. And he was mm. like, well, should you have your And I said, no, that's fine. I know what I'm doing. So he came round and instantly showed me all these these big books of, of hearse and horse-drawn carriages and horses with pl- black plumes and uh, these sprays of of lilies and and wreaths and and I was like, what on earth is all this? And yeah. I said, it's not for me. It's not for me. It's a celebration of his life. I want this. I want that. I want the other. And he was like, are you sure? Should we wait for your parents? Because I think funeral directors have a traditional view. Sure. And if you want. And I think because we're so distressed, we just go with the traditional, okay, let's have what everybody else has. But actually, my boyfriend was a punk from the 1970s, and he did not want a traditional funeral. Yeah, he wanted punk yeah. music. He wanted, he, he wanted a coffin that was like Dracula's. He said, I want a black coffin with red satin lining, like Dracula's cape, and all these wow. really daft things. Yeah, You know, you can't get them. And the funeral director said to me, what and I said this is what I want and he had to send a coffin away to be sprayed black he had Mm -hmm. to source the lining he had to do this he had to do so it was quite an experience for me but I was Mm -hmm. determined to carry out what his wishes were but the funeral director once he got on board he was like wow this is amazing this is amazing never done anything like this before and I just wonder if you know and many a funeral home is is more comfortable with the traditional um ceremony and and burial and cremation and people want different things these days so i think you know hopefully as we shift to eco funerals and burials and things that the funeral directors will come up to date and come up with some great ideas and and we'll change our views of death sure Do, do you think we should spend more time planning our own funerals while we're alive because I think that you make a very good point when you're saying that um, people will sort of go for this default funeral because it's so stressful when someone does die and sometimes people can't always agree on things and it's best just to sort of stick with the script that's there and it'd be interesting to think actually how many people would have wanted a completely different sort of non-traditional funeral. 
Yes, I absolutely agree. And I think the Death Cafe has been really interesting because we've had um, <clears throat> we had a, a wonderful uh, lady get involved. And she was a, she trained at Edinburgh. She was a medic. She, in fact, she was a surgeon. And she came out of uh, medicine. She just had had enough and came out of medicine and went into the funeral service. She's a funeral director. And uh, I got to know her because she wanted to do some research on on patient involvement. So I, I was in one of her focus groups and actually I invited her to come and talk to to the patient carer community and, and ultimately come and speak to the to the students because her view of, of funerals was very different having been a surgeon, having been, you know, trained as a medic. And she told us all the things she didn't know as a medical student and didn't find out until she, she was uh, you know a graduate so it was yeah. really interesting to hear her and she's explored differences she has explored eco ceremonies and green cremations and all the rest of it and she just opens up a whole new world because she's got a different view and I think um, her training is completely different and she came to talk to us during um, death awareness week and really opened people's eyes um, as to what's available. And we talked about, should we plan in advance? Should we write things down? Should we let somebody know? And um, I think it's becoming more and more popular to do that, actually. And interesting, we've had, we've had people at the death cafes that were terminally ill. In fact, we had a doctor who was terminally ill that came and he was really clear on what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And he said, I want this, but I'm going to be dead. And I'll, I don't know if it will happen, but I want my partner to feel okay about what's going on and have the right instructions. I don't want my partner to have the stress and grief and not be able to manage. So it, interestingly, it's often people thinking about their loved ones. Mm. And my parents did the same when my partner died. They said, right, we'll get sorted. And they're in their 80s. But they made instructions. They cleared out the house and they said, we just don't want you to be left with all this. And so it does promote different conversations. Yeah, definitely. And I've had that conversation. And I've even, I I was part of a, a, a group that looked at instructions. Should, should I not be able to communicate then? Uh, there's a booklet that you can fill in that gives instructions. And I was part of the, the team that looked at that for the um, for Leeds Trust. And that just promoted more conversation. We've taken that to the, to the Death Cafe and people have said, that's a really good idea. So not just for your funeral, but if you were unable to communicate, sure. what would you want to happen? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's not just about dying. It's about, you know, should you fall ill, what would you want to happen? Yeah. And I think we need to be talking about it. It's not a grim situation. It's not if you talk about it, it happens. It's just quite comforting to know that you've got things in place mm. should something happen and that your loved ones are not put in that terrible situation of not knowing sure. what to do. Sure. And I imagine relieves quite a lot of... If, if it was something that you're worried about and you have a plan in place, that probably does relieve some of the anxiety that you might have around death. 
Absolutely. And, and the other thing we talked about was was organ donation as well, mm, okay. as part of the Death Cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, should something happen and in, in, in your loved ones are in that pit of despair, despair and, and grief and doom and blackness, um, <clears throat> I understand from the healthcare perspective that you, you know, being asked if your loved one could donate could save a number of lives. But at the time, you're just not open to hearing that. So actually, you know, expressing your wishes in that direction can actually help a number of other people live a good life. So you know, it's not the end. Sure. I think um, one important question that I wanted to ask you is from the point of view of training healthcare students, um, I don't think death is sort of formally introduced in the curriculum enough really i think that we we qualify and then you know you can be experiencing death regularly from day one really Mm. what do you think we could do to help sort of prepare healthcare students for death in their in their work life i think we need to be talking about death from year one or or in our case, we've got the gateway, which I class as year zero, but talking about it in sessions and, and the, the patient care community are really well placed to do that. Yeah. You know, it doesn't necessarily need a formal session uh, straight away. I mean, we know that as, as medics, as healthcare professionals, you have certain things that you need to learn about the death certificate, et cetera, et cetera, and the procedures, the legality of and the ethics of, but actually talking to someone in a conversation from an early age about what are your fears, um, what are your concerns personally and professionally. Um, you know, some people have never seen a very ill person. Some people have never seen a dead body. Um, some people have never been to a funeral or had to sort of think about that situation. So actually listening to other people that have experienced that and that it's not a terrifying situation. And and as a young healthcare professional, there are things you can do. You may not be qualified, but sometimes um, a young um, early career um, medic or nurse or OT or whoever it might be there can just five minutes of sitting and listening and saying, how are you? can be massive it can be really helpful and just giving someone that time and so often the younger students think well I'm not going to be around that because I'm not experienced enough it'll be the older staff that do that the more experienced staff will actually by being in that environment you will come across it so how do you handle that what's your part what part do you play what do you do when you go home in the after your shift or your placement or mm. your session? What do you do with that emotion and those feelings and that understanding? Do you have someone to talk to? You know, is it a stranger on the bus? Is it during mom or dad or do you sit and speak with your housemates and and that it's okay to do that and it's having a support network. So I think we need to make it a common topic. Uh, an everyday conversation and not to be to be afraid of saying those words 
I think we dance around it. We don't say death and dying because it's seen as a harsh word that's going to upset somebody. But yeah. if, unless we start to use those words, it will always be that. Mm-hmm. So starting from a very, very early age and working with a patient carer community, again, it's the nature of the beast. People are ill. They've got long-term illnesses. They may have a terminal illness. They may have a, a diagnosis that change quite, changes quite quickly. And being able to talk about that in in a, an everyday w- way is is really useful for the students. So that just being able to have that conversation, you know, as when I was young, the thought of having to sit with someone in a hospital that's just had really bad news or um, has had you know prognosis that wasn't very good, I would run a mile. Sure. Now I'd be the first to step up and just sit there and say. I'm here. Is there anything you want to talk about? I can just sit with you and be quiet. I can go get you a drink. I, you know, those things yeah. are, it's a great skill to have that confidence. And if we start talking early with our students, then they will have some confidence not to run away from those situations. Sure. Brilliant. And and in terms of where the students can find more information about the death cafe and when is the death cafe on maybe you could give us some information about that yeah so we try and we try and advertise far and wide we put posters up in the um university of of dates in advance so you can sort of look in your diary or your timetable and and book in for one of those we they're actually on the internet if you search death cafe you'll find our dates as well as other dates so it may not be um the med school ones that you come to you might want to go to uh one in Leeds city center or join an online one an international one so they're really easy to join and we try and put them on um Minerva and things like that as as far and wide as we can and and just know that it wouldn't it's not for anyone specifically there'll be a mix of people there and it's confidential and it's a safe and supportive environment to talk or to just listen it's not a test there's no assessment at the end of it you can come along and have a cup of tea and sit and relax and I can guarantee you'll learn something yeah. Um, so, yeah, we we try and get the word out there. But if you if there isn't any dates coming up and you want to, just Google death cafes and you'll find that there are lots online, or there may be some in the area that you could access. Brilliant, Jules. It's been fantastic speaking to you about this. Thank you very much. My pleasure. If any listeners feel affected by the discussions on the podcast. They're advised to visit the University of Leeds mental health support area, student support or their own GP. Please be aware that Humans of Healthcare is not a substitute for professional counselling support. You can follow us on Facebook, Humans of Healthcare Leeds Podcast, Instagram, Humans of Healthcare Podcast, or Twitter at Humans of Health P. We are always looking to get more student and staff in healthcare onto the show to talk about their experiences. If you'd like to be a guest, please submit some bullet-pointed key messages of your story to humansofhealthcare at leeds.ac.uk. The show was recorded and edited by Dan Myers in MTC Studios.